friends. Welcome to Episode 9 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Sally Adams, and I've taught people how to produce original work for the stage for over 30 years. If you go to sallypal.com, you'll find my blog as well as my podcast. You'll also find Sally Pal on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks to everyone who's been sharing the blog and the podcast. Jeremy, Lisa, Sheila, and many others. I really appreciate the shares and suggestions. Today's episode is an interview with playwright, actor, and advocate for casting people with disabilities, Nicole Zimmerer. Nicole has been writing and producing plays most of her young life and now prepares to study playwriting as a graduate student at Carnegie Mellon this fall. Nicole was born with cerebral palsy and spends much of her time in a wheelchair. Nicole and I talk about her start as a playwright, the Kennedy Center performance of one of her plays, her recent full-length play, Thicker Than Honey, and her fight to represent artists in wheelchairs. Be sure to listen until the end for concise advice advice from from the interview. And... Words of wisdom from George. Every day I gotta stop for a minute. Think about how good my life is with you in it. Every day I wanna stop and think about you. We're gonna talk theater and access and playwriting and anything else you want to talk about today, right? Cool. Cool. Okay. I am on the phone with Nicole Z. She is a recent graduate of the University of Houston School of Drama. She is a playwright. She's been performed in the Kennedy Center and all over Houston, and she's a hilarious young woman. And I am very excited to have you on Sally Pal today, Nicole. You were kind of acting on your own, hating high school, loving storytelling, writing plays. Let's start there. So I wrote a 10-minute my junior year that Cop produced, and it was simply awful. Because in high school, you were also the directors. I kind of put the funny girl in the serious role Mm -hmm. and the serious girl in the funny role. And it was very hard because we were all high school students and we didn't know what we were doing. But it was, it was a good learning experience. I don't have the ability to talk to actors. You probably do now. Well, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I had a directing class junior year of college and that was easier because I was talking to my friends. And I'm jumping ahead in the timeline. It didn't really matter until senior year when I wrote a one act called Falling with Grace. It was another play about a disabled girl who was going off to college. So once again, I was writing completely from my imagination. <laughs> so I was falling with grace about a girl with cerebral palsy, and she's kind of freaking out. She's losing home. So I wrote that. It was one of three one-act performs, and it was a big deal in high school. For that casting experience, I had to, like, there was one girl, I cast her because she got the sarcasm and the humor when nobody else did. Mm-hmm. That was a good experience because I wrote a boy in that play. I wrote a, a male character, but uh, we didn't have enough boy actors, so mm-hmm. I had to change the best friend character to a girl. And so my cast and my stage manager, my stage managers, it was just a bunch of girls hanging out, so that was fun. But that was a really good experience. And then what happened is I got into NYU, 
I got waitlisted and then I got accepted. And by the time I got accepted, it was April. All of the scholarships had already been granted and given out. And I actually already accepted UH's offer, but I was like, NYU has been my dream school since I was in fifth grade. I was 10 years old and I knew I wanted to go to NYU. And I got in. I wasn't very keen on going to UH anyway. I was born and raised in Houston and I definitely wanted to get out. Oh, I got into NYU and all the scholarships were gone, but I really wanted to go. And one of my friends said, hey, Nicole, there's a scholarship. There's something called the Kennedy Center. All you have to do is write a disability play. And I sent in this play to the Kennedy Center, and I didn't think about it at all because I was like, it's probably, NYU's probably not going to happen, so what's the use? Somewhere in July... I was sitting on the toilet, checking my emails, as you do, on the toilet. <laughs> this still happened. Every important moment of my life <laughs> happened while in the bathroom. I got this email from the Kennedy Center saying that it won. Since they had so many good submissions, they changed it from a scholarship fund to you want a weekend in Washington, D.C., working with, you know, a dramaturg, another playwright, a director. So, yeah, I won a weekend in Washington, D.C. So, basically, what happened is I finished my first week of college, and as soon as that playwriting class ended, I was going to the airport, flying off to Washington, D.C., which is where I met you guys. And so we got to the Kennedy Center, and you guys were there. And then I met so many good people, and I had so many good connections. Out of the seven of us, there were three of us that got our play actually performed. And it was mm-hmm. Will, me, and I think this girl named Mickey. We all got directors and dramaturgs, and I still talk to my director and my dramaturg. My director, Mike, runs the Gift Theater in Chicago, and I talk to him on a, not a daily basis, but we talk pretty regularly, because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's also in a wheelchair, doing really good things for the theater community and the, the disabled community. It's a weird, like, I have my own thoughts, but I know that they're not the most politically correct, so I'm disabled, so... You get to say whatever you want. Yeah. Did anybody at the University of Houston know that you were going to Washington, D.C. because you'd won this national award for playwriting? Oh, yeah. Your senior thesis project. Do they call it a capstone? Uh, when you're in the UH playwriting program, when you're a junior, you start writing your first full length. Not your first full length, but the first full length that you are required to write for the program. And then the summer before your senior year, they choose one of the full length to produce fully in the next year's season. Usually it's a competition. So I was up against my cohort and my play, Sicker Than Honey, was chosen. And if you want to ask how I got that title, Sicker Than Honey, I will tell you, I was on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you were. (laughs) That's where all your best ideas come. Yeah. Because I was like, it's about family, it's southern. I love the title. Love the Thank title. Pickers and Honey got chosen. And um, and then 
we did auditions and then they casted, and that was really fun because I got to judge all my actor friends, which it turns out that's my favorite thing to do. I wanted to rewrite, and I edited that play. I think I'm on edit nine right now. A few of the edits were like small edits, most of the edits were complete rehaul. Can you say something real quickly about the value of editing? I think people need to hear that. So I didn't understand the value of editing until I had to, because I hate editing. I hate it. I mean, I love it, but I hate it because I I never edit any of my papers. I don't believe in editing 10 minutes more than once, because it's a freaking 10 minutes, not that intense, unless it's a really intense 10 minutes, in which case maybe it shouldn't be a 10 minute. For, uh, like, one act and full length. When you edit, you have clearer ideas, and you get a stronger hold on what you really want to say with your work. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were complete plot lines that I just got rid of. Do you find that when you hear the words spoken aloud by another person, it alters how it occurs? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Because, you know, voice is so important. Yeah. It's easy for you to hear the difference in your head but being able to hear if other people can discern the difference. Exactly. Unless they're, of course, totally rewriting your play, which also happens. I love being a playwright because I love hearing my words spoken by other people, but also when other people, like, screw them up, <laughs> it's the hardest thing to do. Playwright's intent and all that. Yes. Sometimes you can say that was the intention, but most of the time you have to be like, you have to smile and grin and bear it, you know what I mean? Thicker Than Honey was very well received. Yeah, yeah. While I was doing the rehearsals for Thicker Than Honey, I was applying to grad school. So I'm like, I should do something productive about my future. Because when you're a senior and you don't have anything planned for your future, you kind of freak out a little bit. (laughs) Or at least I do. And I was always really interested in grad school because my dad is someone who I like to uh, call dangerously overeducated. Um... (laughs) He has, like, five degrees. I'm not even joking. He values education more than anything else. He's a really smart guy. <laughs> My freshman year, he said, what can you go out for? And I was like, oh, maybe. And then as time went on, I, I realized that I was not ready for the adult world. So it was like, grad school it is. But I had interviews with Northwestern and Carnegie Mellon and NYU. Do you ever imagine yourself ending up in Chicago? Well... I did get into Northwestern, so I did imagine it. The thing about Chicago is it's hella cold. Cold, you say? It's colder really? than New York City. You're it's... moving to Pittsburgh! Okay, Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pittsburgh is not... Pennsylvania! They have snow there like four months yeah. out of the year. <laughs> but Chicago has snow, wind, and a lake. Like, there's no way. There's okay. no way. You are a princess. I... <laughs> It's a compliment, actually. (laughs) So Northwestern and Carnegie Mellon were like my two. And Yale, but you know, Yale is Yale. Everybody wants to go to Yale. So now you're headed to Carnegie Mellon. What drew you to even apply to Carnegie Mellon? I wasn't planning on it. But then I, like, something in my head just said, look at Carnegie Mellon, when is their application date? And for some reason, I thought their application date was December 15th. And I was like, that's going to be really hard. And Figures and Honey ended in November. And I had to get ready for finals and all that good stuff. So for a good three months, I was not in a good place. I was stressed. Yeah, that was. 
fun. So this summer, while making all your preparations to go to graduate school, did you get a chance to watch the Tonys? I loved it. What did you think about playwrights standing and saying a few words about the play? Some, we get some recognition. They should continue it. Considering that the theater runs on the work of playwrights. Yeah, because I heard somewhere that in the movies, the director is the most important person, but in the theater, the playwright is. So why is there no award for playwrights, specifically? Yeah. But there are awards for productions, which is about production values and directing and all that. Uh, this year, every playwright that they had, every play was the playwright's like Broadway debut, which is weird because Paula Bogle's been around forever, and she's never had a Broadway debut. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And there were two women. Yeah. It was Lynn Nottage and Paula Bogle. And then there were two people of color, but I did not see anybody in a wheelchair up there. Because I'm not there yet. <laughs> Yes. And I'd love to know your thoughts on disability culture. I thought it was really great when they did Spring Awakening with Deaf West. I thought that was going to be like the cornerstone. I thought that's where everything was going to change when they did Spring Awakening. And they had the first actress in a wheelchair on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I thought this is where everything changes. This is where like it starts to get better. And then they did Glass Menagerie. They did a, a revival with a girl in a wheelchair playing Laura, which I auditioned for that role. I didn't get it, but I auditioned. I sent in the tape, and I got yeah. headshots for that. And everybody was telling me about it, and I was like, I know what's happening. I am aware. I auditioned <laughs> for that show, but thank you for thinking of me. Disabled people pick up how much of the population, like what percentage, and yeah. they only take up like two percent of the media diversity everybody knows somebody yeah but also when it is reflective it's not necessarily reflective in a good light specifically with television and film let's talk about that since now we're into the world of accessibility i have so much work to do so much work to do because this is how people see disabilities as something to be pitied or romanticized. And yes, I get it. I am a good looking girl. But like, mm. I don't want to be pitied or romanticized in the wrong way. Like, yeah, my community has so much work to do. We're just not getting the, the attention that we need and the attention that we deserve. Uh, disability is what I like to call an O positive minority. Like, we take everybody. It doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, uh, white, black, Indian. You could be part of the club. Talk about an inclusive group. Yeah. Right? And we're stronger than people think we are. I want to talk about three areas of access for people in the performing arts. The most obvious one is the audience. Don't put the people in wheelchairs at the back of the theater with a gulf of, you know, 300 seats between you and the people who can see the play. Yeah. Number two is the people on stage need to reflect the broader community. And that's going to take playwrights, really, when it comes down to it. Playwrights and also open casting. And then the third one is something people don't think about, and that is people working tech. Designers, directors. And I'm not just talking about people using wheelchairs, but all kinds of access. What do you see as the responsibility? How do we address this? What can we do at ground level? Let's start with with the second one with the people on stage. For the people on the stage, I think, well, first of all, the disability community is an untactable mine of laughter and tears and think about a way sicker than honey. Oh, it's a Southern family drama. Everybody has one of those slice of life. Damn, the relationships are complex. 
That's getting really like, complex. If we can add like magical realism to disability, that would be really cool. And I would love to have a, a musical with a disabled character where like in a dream sequence she doesn't get up and dance because I want the actor to be actually disabled. But what about having a disabled dancer? I mean, you think about a place like Axis Dance Company. That's another thing. I would love to have disabled, because there are disabled roles, but they're rarely played by disabled people. You can hire actors who are physically disabled, who can present themselves in different ways. If they're actors, they have some versatility. Yeah. I am the first to admit, I talk, like, I am aware that there, the disability spectrum is huge and I can't speak for all of it, so I'm mainly speaking for, like, the wheelchair, like, I don't like the term wheelchair bound, the wheelchair kids, the wheelies. The wheelies. <laughs> Why it's so complicated and complex, because, you know, some people are like, Nicole, sometimes you have a role that cannot be played by a person with that disability because that is going to be very difficult and maybe that's not possible for the production. And I'm like, I understand, but we can we can at least try harder and try better and, you know, not be so exclusive. If you're disabled, you can't participate, period. You can't do Shakespeare in a wheelchair. Oh, if we're going to talk about Shakespeare and disability, I have, mm, so I have been talking for years about a disabled lady <gasps> M. I love it. I really I want to do it so badly. Yes. And I, had, yes. I had a really good talk with one of my professors, Jen Johnson, about it on the way back because we went to go see a Shakespeare show in Austin. Mm -hmm. I want a disabled lady M, and I'm thinking lady M in a wheelchair. Her despair is greater because she married her husband for protection, but then she realizes she's smarter than her husband, and that killed her. Gets out of the wheelchair and army crawls to the bedroom. And it would oh, uh, be so freaky, and it would be so great. I just yeah. really want to do it really freaking badly. And I want to be the Lady M, but I'm also like, but I can be the director, because Shakespeare's hard, man. Think of it this way. You could be the producer and open the door to actors in wheelchairs all over the place. Exactly. They're doing Richard Tree right now at Houston Shakespeare Festival. How do you feel about the conversation about casting an able-bodied actor in the role of a disabled person? It's a hard one. I'm not happy with it. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. But, like, when it happens, and and I see the production, and the actor is good, then I can give it a little... I say, okay. And the production that they're doing of Richard III right now, Jack Young is playing Richard III, and he's fantastic, and he's, he's using crutches, and I actually taught him how to walk with the crutches, and I mm -hmm. taught him how to hit people with crutches. <laughs> I sat in on a rehearsal, and he's fantastic in that role. But I'm also yeah. like, but he also knows somebody who was Richard III and he was in a wheelchair. And so it can go either way with that role because Shakespeare, you can basically do anything. Yeah. yeah. It's a great thing about Shakespeare. But, and then there's this one play called uh, And They Dance with Sean Jackson. Yes, I'm familiar with that one. Elizabeth Ann has polio and she's in a wheelchair. I've heard stories about how they had a wheelchair act actress available, but they didn't cast her because they thought it would be too much for her fragile little 
crippled souls. I mean, I'm not going to say, like, My Left Foot is a horrible movie because Daniel Day-Lewis isn't actually disabled. Uh, there's a comedian. She said, if a disabled person can't play Beyonce, Beyonce can't play a disabled person. And I think that's true. When we're talking about diversity, the main three are gender, sexual orientation, and race. Uh, so many of my friends talk about diversity, and I'm the person in the back of the room that says, don't forget about disabilities. You know what I mean? Disability is a segment of the conversation that basically nobody ever talks about. And when they mm -hmm. do it for a brief second, and then that's it. And I'm like, that's not fair. Like, I'm <laughs> here. And I'm yeah. talented, and I deserve my my time. You know, I'm a cute face. You can put me on posters. When people think about civil rights, they think about, you know, the 1960s with, like, the riots and the 1970s with, like, Vietnam. But people don't realize that we had our own civil rights movement in the 1990s when Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. And, you know, people don't understand that disabled people literally got out of their wheelchair and crawled up the step of the Capitol building demanding yeah. some civil rights. And I was like, that's amazing. But people don't know about that because it's not on their radar. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. not in the textbooks. Yeah. So, so what advice would you give to someone? who had a physical disability and struggled with being cast or being part of the theater community? I think I'm going to have an easier road as a playwright because when I write disability plays, people are going to be like, this is brand new. Nobody's ever done this before, which is not entirely true, but nobody's ever done it like I will. There are opportunities out there. So what would you say to a playwright, whether they're disabled or not? Would you give any advice to playwrights concerning putting people with disabilities on the stage? I am a strong believer that you can do that. You just have to do your research and you have mm -hmm. to talk to people. So you want to encourage people to include people with disabilities in their plays, whether or not they are physically disabled, but just to do their homework, talk to people with the disability you're writing, and make sure you get it right. Yeah. If you go up to a disabled person at all, don't be like, hey, what's wrong with you? That is only okay if you're a child under six. Anyone else have a little bit of chat. I am so tired of seeing a disabled character that's purely for like a plot point or like a victim, a pity character. I'm tired of that. I am so, so tired of that. I would love to see a disabled character who is the hero of their own story. I do get angry and I do get frustrated. So I think about my life if I wasn't disabled. I do. I think I would be like a CEO or like an athlete if I didn't have a disability, but I do and I have to deal with it. And don't get weird about it. Like, just talk to me. I will not get mad if you want to talk about my disability because that's all I want to talk about all the time when I drink. <laughs> you don't want to go up to a stranger and say, hey, you're disabled. They're writing a disabled character. Can I talk to you? How is it writing a disabled character from the South? It was fun to write a line that has the character saying, bless your heart, when you know that's like the meanest thing anybody can say. I want to do like a Southern magical realism. That would be fun. Thank you so much for joining me on Sally Pal today, Nicole. You have been an awesome guest. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I'd love to do this again. I love you. I love you too. And we'll talk more later. It's now time for Concise Advice from the Interview.
a short version of the best tips from my guest. Today, I have five great bits of advice from the beautiful, fiery, and talented Nicole Zimmerer. Number five, do your research when developing characters whose life experiences are different from yours. Number four, don't be weird about physical disabilities. Number three, edit your work, even if you hate to edit your work. Number two, Sometimes in life, you have to do hard things. And the number one piece of advice from my guest, Nicole Zimmerer, have a sense of humor. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Thanks to Nicole Z for taking time out to talk about playwriting and artistic advocacy. Next week, I'll post an interview with one of a pair of executive producers for the hit ABC TV show, The Middle, Jana Hunter. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L stands for Performing Arts Lab. Y'all be sure to check out my blog for articles and podcast episodes. It's sallypal.com. Be sure to share, share, share. Let's work together to encourage new work for the stage. You can find Sally Pal on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And of course, you can always find the blog and the podcast on my website, sallypal.com. Look for my posts on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and LinkedIn. Thanks for the shout-out on Tumblr, Melanie, Vicky, Melissa Kay, and Joan. If you like Sally Pal, find a like button and press it. Don't ask me where it is. Just do it. And if you really like it, share the podcast. A new one goes out every Monday. And now I have just one bit of wisdom from George, my husband and the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Blessed is he who can laugh at himself. He will never cease to be amused. Well said, George. Well said. A handy piece of wisdom. Indeed. Remember, all the performances you've ever seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Now it's your turn. Thanks so much for listening. There's no advertising budget, just like and share buttons. Sally Pal episodes are posted on Monday evenings, so spread the word. I'm working on a free ebook to help organize your production. Look for it soon on sallypal.com. I want to help you learn to produce and direct original shows. It's what I do, and you can too. Indeed. That's not really advice. I'm going to say wisdom. Jeremy, Lisa, Sheely. Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, Lisa, Sheely. She. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry, Sheely. Nicole was born with. What was she born with? Cerebral palsy. That's it. Hold on. I've got to see what's going on here.